You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Timothy chapter 2. Uh, tonight is a little bit of a unique message, a little different than what I normally would preach um, but one I think that is, is helpful and timely, and uh, this is the, the kind of thing that I, I once saw uh, my, my pastor um, in Oklahoma do, and I felt like it was a helpful exercise, especially leading up to an election. And unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know that this Tuesday's election day. And while every election is insignificant, we, I think that we are, it seems like, and maybe you feel this way as well, it seems like we're at a point in our country that makes this one feel especially important. And, and not only are the candidates uh, diametrically opposed, we could say, but the divide in our country between American ideals, it seems like it's never been so wide. It's almost like there's a Grand Canyon and on one side is one set of ideals and, the other, and on the other is the other. And that's not any surprise because the further a country gets away from, from biblical ideals and biblical mindsets and God and the Bible, the wider the gap is going to be between those that desire righteousness and those that are honestly pushing toward a godless society. So the traditional family is under attack. We know that to be true. Personal responsibility is being abandoned. Biblical mindsets are, are disappearing at an alarming rate. And there's a shift toward socialism, which is giving more and more responsibility to the government and removing power from the hands of the people or removing personal responsibility from our daily lives and, and asking the government to take control of it. And that's directly opposed to the constitutional ideals established by our forefathers. There's a greater push this year to vote than there ever has been. And we must take seriously our responsibility to vote and to be involved in the process in order to preserve not only our desire for right government rule, but the idea of righteousness itself. And I believe those things are at stake. On Tuesday, there will be hundreds, if, if not thousands, of people that walk through the doors of Eastside Baptist Church as a polling station to cast their votes, not only on a national level, but on a local level. And I'm excited that they'll be coming through our doors. That's a, that's a good thing for us. Eastside's been a voting location for a number of years, but I was thinking about how sad it would be for other people to vote at our church, but for the members of Eastside not to take place in the process. And how much more sad would it be for members of Eastside to cast their votes without considering a biblical perspective on how they vote? See, we claim to be Bible believers, but I wonder how many people separate their political affiliations from their religious convictions. And I know people that do that. They've got a set of religious convictions on this side, but it seems like their political affiliations don't line up. There's a disconnect. So... I mean, so what are our responsibilities as Christians when it comes to government? I mean, I don't have to read all these. There are a few scriptural principles to keep in mind and uh, keep your place here in 1 Timothy. We'll be back here. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. We'll be back here in 1 Timothy. I, I should have had you turn to Romans 13 first. Romans chapter 13. This, these, these verses are very known and, and uh, widely, 
just we're widely familiar. Romans 13, it says, let, verse 1, let every soul be subject into the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And folks, you read a passage like this and you have to be careful. We have to be careful about how we talk about our governmental authority. We have to be mindful that this, these verses are in the Bible and whether or not we like some policy, we, God has ordained governmental authority. He, he has set it in place and, and we can't pick and choose the verses that, that we like a little bit better than others just because it's a preference. We, we are to submit. And, and you say, well, you know, there, I, and I'll talk about the balance. Let's look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake." For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their duties, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I, I, you can't read that passage and not come to the conclusion that, that God has ordained government as authority. And the government's been established to reward those that do good and punish those that do evil. And might I say here, too, that if you are um, a, a proponent of police defunding and police reform, um, it, you would have a lot less to fear if you would just do right. That's the idea right there in Romans 13. If you do good, you've got, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Second, according to the, to, uh, the passages we're reading, I think about 1 Peter 2 and and it says, fear God, honor the king. We're supposed to be obedient to civil authority. And that doesn't mean we blindly obey. And here's the balance, because some of you right now are, you know, this, this, you don't like to hear submit to authority. I get it. I don't like everything our government does. But when, and when, and when civil government requires something of us that God forbids or demands, uh, maybe that we no longer do something God has commanded us to, then we, we should, it's not that we should, we should disobey, we must disobey. If they, say, if they say our government requires something of us that God forbids, we must disobey. If our government um, tells us we no longer can do something that God commands, we must disobey. But our basic posture, though, toward government, like it or not, is to be submissive. To be obedient citizens. Third, we're given the duty of praying for earthly governments. Turn back over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says in verse 1, I, I exhort therefore, this is where we started, 1 Timothy 2, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And look at verse 2, for kings... And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge 
of the truth. That key verse, though, in that passage is we are to pray for all men, including those in authority, for kings, for all that are in authority. And knowing this, then, we are to pray, then, for those that are our authorities, and it means that we have involvement in the process. Now, in, when Paul was writing this to Timothy, um, Timothy had no say in who was ruling. You know, uh, you think about uh, the Roman government. Think about Romans 13 was written to the church in Rome. And in my understanding of history, it's when Nero was reigning in, in, over the world, basically. And yet Paul was saying, submit. Paul was saying they're authorities. They're, God has placed them in that position. And Tim, Paul's telling Timothy, pray for those. Their only role was to be good citizens and pray for those in authority. Paul, they didn't have much, they, didn't, they couldn't cast a vote. But think about it, in our government, we can do more than pray. Should we pray? Absolutely. And that's an evidence that we are supposed to have a part in the process. Because Paul's saying pray and submit and pray and submit. He says it more than once. But we also, as Americans, can take it a step further and be involved, not just in prayer, which we should, and not just in submission when it doesn't go against what God tells us, which we should as well, but we can also vote. I mean, it is not, it, it is, it is not unbiblical to be involved in the process when it comes to government. We can cast our vote for leaders who might rule more righteously. I mean, Jesus Christ himself said, show me the tribute money there in Matthew 22. They brought unto him a penny and he saith unto them, whose is the image and superscription? They said unto, they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar that which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. Paul, I mean, we even saw in Romans 13, pay the tribute from Paul. There are things that are considered Caesar's. So to pay tribute, to pay taxes. I mean, how many of you in here love to pay taxes? Just a quick raise of hands, okay? Blake raised his hand. I'm not sure about it. Were you listening to the question, Brother Blake? <laughs> to pay tribute or taxes is no one's favorite, but Jesus recognized the authority of Caesar. See, obviously it was not, it was not to conflict with what, what is God's, though. See, Caesar's image was on the coin. We are to render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's. But as God's people, his image was stamped on on us it was stamped on the disciples they were created in God's image therefore they are to render to God the things that are God's the image that bears God is God's but if it bears Caesar's image it's Caesar's see Jesus Christ I'm not saying that they carry the same weight I'm not at all but obligations to Caesar according to Jesus were are looked at similarly to our obligations to God and again, I'm not saying that God was saying that they're equal in measure. I'm simply saying that Jesus said that there is an obligation to both. Meaning, both of them deserve to be submitted to. And I'll, I'll say it again. Where there is conflict, then we have a decision to make. Where there is conflict, there are two things that we ought to do. Is we ought to, number one, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, clearly. And then Acts 5, obey God rather than men. Where there's a conflict... God always wins. So we are responsible to do what is appropriate as citizens and as Christians. And I think sometimes we border on a rebellious spirit toward government that I'm not sure would always be pleasing to God. And again, I'm not saying that, that well, where the government, that we, vote, that we submit to the government no matter what, 
Um, I've already made it clear where there's conflict, seek first the kingdom of God and obey God rather than men. That's always true. But we have to be careful to have a rebel that we don't have a rebellious spirit uh, towards something that God has ordained and that God has said submit to. And I'm not even accusing anybody. I'm simply saying we've got to be careful of that because we're red-blooded Americans. And don't tread on me. That's kind of, that's our American policy, isn't it? But we've got to be mindful that God, the government is not there in spite of God. God set it up. So as I mentioned earlier, we have an additional opportunity that most in history have not had. Here in America, for the last couple of hundred years, we have the right to help choose our Caesar. And that has not existed in most cultures. We don't have kings or emperors who rule for a lifetime like many have. America was designed to be ruled by the people as a republic. We get to participate in the process. The citizens choose one way or the other. That's the structure of this republic. In essence, the people of the United States say who rules. And I know that it's by state and the electoral college and those things. And it's not just a straight democracy. But in the end, the people do have the say. And whether you vote for President Trump or Joe Biden, you, know, you will have a say. You, ha- you will have spoken. And by the way, let me say this too. If you abstain from voting, you are having a say. You're saying, I'll let other people decide. I mean, I was, in, uh, I was picking something up at a, a store in business here in Sioux Falls. And there were a couple of guys working behind the counter. And they were probably 19, 20, 21, something like that. And, and we were talking and we started just talking. And the election came up. And, and one of the guys said, yeah, I'm going to vote. And the other two guys like, I'm not even going to vote. I don't even care. And he, the young guy, 19 years old or so, and um, he said, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't really care at all. And I said, it will affect you. If the wrong person gets in office, you will know about it. It will affect your life. And it may not right now, but I'm going to encourage you to get out there and vote. And because it will affect you eventually. You know, that's kind of the mentality is that some people say, well, I don't have to vote. It doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. What's difference, what difference does one vote make? But you know, if 10 million people say that, that makes a difference. So it's very important for us to understand this in the same way, and I know this is a different message. I hope that you'll be patient here. In the same way that God has asked his people to intervene through prayer in the New Testament, we have a responsibility to intervene through voting. We are supposed to be part of the process. And godly people should influence the process. I mean, think about it. If all of God's people step back and let everybody who has nothing to do with God and no desire for God to take, to take the lead in the voting process, we will find ourselves in a bigger mess than we are very quickly. And Paul is writing to Timothy saying, have a part in the process. And since we can vote, let's have a part in the process. The people that we choose are aligned with one of two mindsets. You've got the Trump and Pence ticket and you've got the Republicans on one side and and on the other you've got the Biden-Harris ticket and they're representing the other party. You've got Republicans and you've got Democrats and in large part they represent the party that they're affiliated with. And I know it's not true on every point. I know that some are more committed to their party platform than others but in general you know what a person believes and you know what what direction a person will go based on their party platform. So you have to decide based on a platform more than a person. And did you hear that? You have to decide based on the platform more than the person. See, each platform, right or left, Republican or Democrat, 
represents a worldview. And, and I have here, these are, this is just part of it. I have here the Democratic Party platform, and it's about 90 pages. And I've got the uh, Republican platform. It's, it's officially from 2016, but there are some, some, uh, uh, there are some amended parts of it. I've, I've got both of these. You can get them both online. You can get on, and you can read all of the stuff that I'll be even talking about tonight. They each have official voted-on platforms that express the views that they hold. You've got official Democrat and Republican platform documents. And so you start looking through there and you see, and I'm not, I, I highlighted a bunch, but I'm not going to read through all of it. But you start to look at things that should matter to us as Christians. And that's where you finally see where they stand on issues like abortion. And you have to choose between a party that believes, and I'm not telling you how to vote tonight. I'm simply telling you where they stand. You have to choose um, between a party that believes abortion is wrong or one that believes that it's a healthy right. And it's interesting when you read the wording that one platform um, uses the word safe regarding abortion. Safe and healthy. But if you're a baby, there's very little safe about it. And the, the Democrat Party platform describes abortion that way. Um, in marriage, if you... And my pastor was the one that told me this. He did this, this search on using some of his search results. He searched these party platforms and, and, he, and he said the Democratic Party platform uses the word marriage one time in 91 pages. And it, the term is forced marriage. But they use LGBTQ plus 32 times. Republican, the platform, the Republican platform, with a quick search, it says marriage 19 times and doesn't reference LGBTQ plus at all. LGBTQ plus refers to elements of gender that are un, unbiblical. I mean, from a person that believes the Bible, instead of trusting that God creates male and female in his own image, they've attempted to redefine gender in a way that defies natural and God-given definitions. And by the way, LGBTQ plus, the plus sign is an official part of their stand now, and that plus means that they're not done yet. Which is, that's the way the liberal mindset works. They can't draw a line to where they're going. They are more defined by what they are against. They don't know where it will end. There's no telling where it ends. God's mentioned in the Republican Party platform 15 times. In the Democratic platform, it's, he's mentioned once. The Democratic, um, God, it, the Democratic one, it's God, it says God-given potential, that one use. And it's still, that's still about the person, not God himself. Homeschool is addressed, if that's important to you, homeschool is addressed uh, twice in the Republican platform. It's addressed none in the Democratic platform. Now, I could go through and read, and again, I've highlighted um, many, many of these. And I mean, it's just incredible. If you really would stop and want to know, how should I vote, then read the platforms. You know, again, going to go back to abortion, and, and this is the uh, Alabama Policy Institute, which you know, I don't, I'm, they, they simply have taken what is written in these platforms, and they have summarized what's in these platforms um, on certain issues. And it's all they've done, and, of course, and they are coming at it from, from a conservative perspective. Um, but let me just read to you what they have compiled, and, and I, I checked it, it's directly out of these platform documents. 
on the topic of abortion. The Democratic platform, we believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans. And I don't know, I don't know how they're speaking for you and I, but they are. We believe unequivocally that, like the majority of Americans, that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health services, including safe and legal abortion. We will repeal the Title IX domestic gag rule and restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood. Democrats will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to reproductive health and rights. We will repeal the Hyde Amendment and protect and codify the right to reproductive freedom. The Republican platform says we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make it clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. The GOP platform also includes opposition to the use of public funds to perform or promote abortion and the funding of organizations that provide or refer uh, for abortions. The platform also supports a federal act to ban abortion after 20 weeks, opposes embryonic stem cell research, human cloning, and infanticide. And you have to decide which platform lines up more closely to the Bible. Because the Bible says in Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill. It says in Psalm 139, 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Isaiah 49, the Lord hath called me from the womb. Jeremiah 1, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God talking to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Tell me how you can sanctify someone who's not a person, not a life. I think about every soul matters. Every life matters to God. I think about the, the principles, the parable in Luke 15 of the lost coin and the lost sheep. Every soul matters to God. Every person matters to God. And I know some people may try to define when life begins, but you can't read the Bible and assume life begins not until a baby is born. A baby is alive in the womb, according to the verses we just read. I think about the issue of same-sex marriage. And, and the Democratic platform says throughout the Democratic platform, the, the, this is the Alabama Policy Institute summary. It says the, throughout the Democratic platform, the party continually describes itself as the party that will protect and promote the equal rights of all of our citizens, including LGBTQ plus people. The Republican platform says traditional marriage and family based on marriage between one man and one woman is the foundation for a free society and has for millennia been entrusted with rearing children and instilling cultural values. We condemn the Supreme Court's ruling in the United States versus Windsor, Windsor which wrongfully, uh, wrongly removed the ability of Congress to define marriage policy in federal law. We also condemn the Supreme Court's lawless ruling in Obergefell versus Hodges and support the appointment of justices and judges who respect the constitutional limits on their power and respect the authority of the states to decide such fundamental social questions. You could go on and read in your Bibles then how Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female, created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Part of the marriage relationship is fruitfulness, replenishing, multiplying. And if you can explain how that can happen in a same-sex relationship, go ahead. 
But that's part of the marriage relationship. Fruitfulness. Genesis 2 says it's explicitly, or in Genesis 2, and I'm not going to read it, but this is where, where God put man, Adam to sleep and took uh, um, out of him uh, from under his rib uh, Eve, created Eve out of him, and, and then said, you shall leave your father and mother and cleave to each other, and you shall be one flesh. And it's explicitly stated a marriage relationship is between a man and a woman. And it was in that state, in Genesis 1 and 2, that God looked at everything that he had made, and what did he call it? He called it all good. So it is in that condition, man and woman, together, that is God's definition of what is good in a relationship. One man, one woman for life. Romans 1, I just listened to these verses, and we're talking about same-sex marriage. There, wherefore, God also gave them up to, the, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile natural use into that which is against nature. It's talking about homosexual relationships. And likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. You cannot read Romans 1 and think that God looks the other way when it comes to same-sex relationships. I think I read a little bit further in these, and there's, I mean, I could, we could look at it forever, and there's some that could really get amens, like gun control and things like that, but couldn't find a lot of verses to back it up, because the Bible doesn't talk about guns, so I was hoping hoping I could find it, but government dependence. In in the summary, the democratic platform um, it talks about we'll significantly expand affordable housing and build new public housing and they'll increase funding for food assistance and things. And listen, I know that some people really do need help. But the Republican platform says we must scale back the federal role in the housing market, promote responsibility on the part of the borrowers. And if you're a Bible reader and you believe your Bible, personal responsibility is a biblical thing to do. Galatians 6, 5 says, uh, For every man shall bear his own burden. First Timothy 5, 8, But if any provide not for his own, and, speci- and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Second Thessalonians 3, That if any sh- would not work, neither should he eat. I mean, the Bible through and through is full of personal responsibility. And I don't know how you can, you, you have to make a choice on what platform you're going to vote for. But if you're going to vote for a platform that, that tends to tear away the foundation of personal responsibility, I'm not sure that you, you're thinking biblically about it. Think about government um, education. You know, that some, one platform, the Democratic platform, um, it, it depends on education to reform and train children. I mean, they have put all their eggs in the basket of education. And it's the government's responsibility to ensure that every child everywhere is able to receive a world-class education that enables them to lead meaningful lives. Do you hear what that's saying? It's saying that their idea is that education is the key to living a meaningful life. That's the democratic platform. And you say, well, that doesn't sound too bad until you read verses like Ephesians 6, 4 that says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition 
of the Lord. And you go to Deuteronomy 6 and you see that spiritual education is what prepares our children for success. The most important education that you will ever give a child is a moral education. And we have bought into this hook, line, and sinker that, you know, I'm just, as long as you get your college education, as long as you have a college degree, uh, that's all that matters. You'll be set up for success. And yet, Second Peter, Peter wrote, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That has called us to glory and virtue. It's not about what you know and what you get in a college class. Everything that you need can be found in the power of God. According to his divine power, he hath given us everything, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It's according to the knowledge of him that brings success in life. And I'm not saying that education doesn't matter, but if you think that as long as you get a degree, that's all you need to be successful, then you're not thinking biblically. The Republicans, and this goes further, Republican platform says, we will continue our fight for school choice until all parents can find good, safe schools for their children. And the reason I believe that that's an important statement is because the Republicans believe, uh, the Republican platform says that the responsibility of education lies with the parents. Does not lie with the state. It does not lie in the government's hands to train our children. Education is a parent's responsibility. And whether you choose to send your children to public school or to a Christian school or you homeschool your children, the choice is yours as long as you understand you're the one responsible. So don't just release them. To, I mean, don't release them and say, well, train my children, educate them. This is all that they need. No, you are responsible. You go through this even more, I think, I look at, uh, on, let's see, page 18, I have a note, on, on, on Israel. This is important. We support a negotiated, the Democratic part, platform, we support a negotiated two-state solution that ensures Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state with recognized borders and upholds the right of Palestinians to live in freedom and security in a viable state of their own. And I'm not looking the other way or not, not being sympathetic toward the rights of some people to live in freedom. That's not what I'm doing. Um, but we, it's been proven for years that that does not work. We recognize the Republican platform. We recognize Jerusalem as the eternal and indivisible capital of the Jewish state. And call for the American embassy to be moved there in fulfillment of U.S. law. You know, they both support Israel's right to, to exist um, but, but, we, but one platform truly supports Israel. They truly support uh, the presence of Israel. And that's important for us. And I'm not saying that every Democrat or every Republican has their views right on this. But in general, it's much stronger in support of Israel on the Republican platform side. And you say, well, why does that matter? Because God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. Psalm 122, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall, pro- they shall prosper that love thee. You want to prosper? Then love and pray for Jerusalem. I don't want to be cursed. I want to bless um, Israel and I mean, be blessed in return for it. Be careful of voting for anybody that is opposed to the success of Israel. I think about police reform. Police defunding. Remember what Romans 13 said, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Wilt thou not then be afraid, or thou, I'm sorry, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And I'm sure that there are individual policemen that don't do right. And I know that's not a, maybe a popular thing to say, but, but I mean, we, every person is capable of making a wrong choice at some point. But it doesn't mean we defund the police. I mean, more than police reform, we need spiritual reform. And listen, if people would do right, according to Romans 13, they'd have no reason to be afraid of the police. And if we're Bible believers, I mean, I could talk, I could go through these platforms and read a bunch of highlighted parts of these. But if we are Bible believers, we must make our decisions not on political affiliations, but according to Scripture. And for those that say, well, neither candidate is everything I want him to be. I agree. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and vote. I heard somebody say last week that this election feels like, you know, a parents, two parents that, that split up and, and both of them want custody of the, the child, but you just, the kid just wants to go live with grandma. Like, can I just option C? You know, there's never been a perfect candidate. Every person has their weakness of character and their character and their own shortcomings. And my mind goes to men like David and Bathsheba, that story. Did God use David in a great way over to rule over Israel? Absolutely. Did he have glaring flaws? Absolutely, he did. You think about Samson and his flaws were almost more than you can imagine. And yet God used him to rule and judge Israel for 20 years. Flawed people can still prosper the plan of God because God is that, that great. He has that kind of grace. And you know, the truth is we're all flawed. And I think about President Trump's uh, accomplishments in the last few years, and I just want to read some of these to you. Um, these are from the, um, oh, this is from FRC Action, and they, just, they basically have literally just written out the things that Donald Trump has done through the years as president. And, and this is life, family, religious freedom things that pertain to those things. Let me just read some of the things that he's done. And am I saying that he's perfect? I'm giving you simply, literally facts. On February 2017, on February 22nd, the Department of Education, in conjunction with the Department of Justice, rescinded President Obama's guidance that requires public schools to allow transgender students to use the bathrooms and showers of their choice. Happened in 2017 under Donald Trump. On April 7th, President Trump's nominee, Neil Gorsuch, was confirmed to the Supreme Court. Justice Gorsuch has already developed a reputation as an originalist who will rule the right way on religious liberty issues. He's representative of President Trump's judicial nominees overall. On September 7, 2017, Department of Justice filed a brief with the support Supreme Court defending the religious freedom rights of Baker Jack Phillips in Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. This filing is representative of other actions defending religious freedom taking place throughout the Trump administration, Department of Justice. Be thankful that somebody is on our side when it comes to issues like that. 
On October 6th, Department of Justice issued guidance and an implementing memo as instructed by the Religious Liberty Executive Order to all federal agencies explaining religious freedom law and how religious liberty must be protected. This guidance laid out a broad defense of religious liberty based on multiple statutes and provided each federal agency with guidelines for protecting religious liberty. On January 18, 2018, uh, HHS announced a new Conscience and Religious Freedom Division within its Office of Civil Rights. This new division was established to enforce federal laws that protect conscience rights and religious freedom. And you don't hear about these things. You don't even understand how much is going on behind the scenes to help protect what we value here as a church. On March 23, 2018, the White House and Department of Defense issued a new policy allowing existing personnel to remain in the military while preventing those who have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria or had undergone gender transition surgery from joining the military. Those who are transgender and stable for 36 months could join so long as they serve in accordance with their biological sex. On April 30th, during a press conference with Nigeria's president, President Trump raised the issue of religious freedom and the killing of Christians in that country, bringing attention to an issue that had largely been neglected by other government officials. On May 22nd, HHS issued a new proposed regulation reversing the Title IX family planning regulations implemented by President Clinton. The proposed regulation would restore the separation of abortion services from the federal Title IX family planning program, which President Reagan first implemented. The proposed regulation would also ensure parents are more involved in the decisions of minors to obtain services from Title IX clinics. It blows my mind that young teenagers can seek care like that without the consent of their parents. It reverses the discriminatory abortion referral requirement that Clinton's regulation implemented and is poised to put a dent into Planned Parenthood's roughly 60 million annual revenues from the Title IX program. On June 13th, the Department of Justice announced the Place to Worship initiative designed to increase enforcement and public awareness of the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. This federal law protects places of worship and other religious uses of property. Through this initiative, federal prosecutors will receive training about legal protections for houses of worship. We need those kinds of people on our side. On July 30th, the Department of Justice announced a Religious Liberty Task Force to fully implement religious liberty guidance and policy across all components of the Department of Justice. On August 1st, 2018, still the Trump administration relied on executive order, this certain number, to sanction two Turkish officials over the detention of American pastor Andrew Brunson due to his Christian faith. This executive order ultimately resulted in Pastor Brunson's release. And you go on and on, you, know, you think, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, he confirmed to the Supreme Court he's a constitutional originalist. 2019, on January 19th, the request of 169 members of Congress and 49 senators, President Trump sent a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in which he promised to veto any legislation that weakens current pro-life federal policies and laws. This letter was a message to the new Democratic majority in the House that long-standing pro-life protections like certain amendments and safeguards protecting the conscience right of health care providers are not negotiable. I mean, you go on and just read. I mean, you read countless things and you think about this as something somebody put together. These are simply facts. And all of them, if we are Bible believers, they fall in line with what we value. Uh, look at, let's see. Just, I don't, I don't, I mean, there's so many of these to read. You could look these up as well. 
On August 28th, uh, the HHS OCR issued a notice of violation to the University of Vermont Medical Center for forcing a nurse to participate in an abortion despite a conscience objection. This marks the third time that the HHS Religious Freedom Division under President Trump has investigated a conscience complaint related to participating in or promoting abortion. On September 23rd, President Trump hosted a meeting during the UN General Assembly and gave a speech solely on the topic of religious freedom. During the speech, he announced a U.S. policy initiative to protect places of worship, pledging an additional $25 million in funding to protect religious sites and relics. President Trump also announced the U.S. would form a coalition within the business community to protect religious freedom. This is the first time... A U.S. president has hosted a meeting focused solely on religious freedom at the United Nations. Let's keep reading here. There's so many to look at. On January 16th, the Department of Education and Justice issued guidance on constitutionally protected prayer and religious expression in public elementary and secondary schools. This guidance ensures that prayer in schools is properly protected and not unconstitutionally prohibited or curtailed. On January 24th, President Trump became the first sitting president to give remarks in person at the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. In his address, he has stated the, uh, the eternal truth that every child is a sacred gift from God and reiterated his effort to defend the dignity and sanctity of every human life. I mean, there, it, goes, it goes on and on. And I've got page after page, I think 12 pages, of, of things that have happened under President Trump's administration that line up much more closely to the Word of God. They line up, and again, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm simply stating facts here today. These are things that have literally happened under President Trump. And in two days, everyone will decide. In two days, all I'm encouraging you to do and asking you to do is is to read the platforms. Download it, read the platforms, read the Democratic, read the Republican, and if you want, look at the Trump administration accomplishments especially in terms of religious freedom, which if you're here tonight, that matters to you. That has value in your life. And every voter will decide on one of two worldviews. And I am going to ask that you spend time praying that the most biblical worldview has the chance to most influence our country. Based on where we are in our country, there are not many elections more significant than this one. Pray that God will, in his grace, bless our country, I mean, in spite of our country. That he'll bless the United States of America, and it could be for no other reason that there's a remnant of righteousness. And there's enough of God's people that still desire to do right and still desire to make a difference. That he would say, well, I, for their sake, I will bless this election. I'll continue to bless their country. But if they don't pray like they're commanded to and they don't get out and vote and they are not involved in the process, then they obviously don't value the role that I have asked them to have. And it could be that someday God removes our right to be a part of the process. And when that happens, I wonder how many of God's people 
have no right to complain because they didn't get involved. They didn't get involved in prayer or they didn't get involved in voting or if God is leading somebody even here to get involved in being part of it to help change it. I've seen men and women rise up from church and where else to find better candidates to make change on local levels than from churches like ours. So as long as we're uninvolved in the process, we have no right to complain. But if we want God to continue to bless our country, it's time to get involved in the process. And I want to encourage you to vote not according to your political affiliations, but vote according to your religious convictions. Vote according to that candidate and that platform which most closely aligns with what you believe God would say is righteous. And if we'll do that, I mean, pray and ask God to intervene. You know, maybe he'll, get, he'll bless us and have mercy in a, in, in a place, in an area where we probably don't deserve it. But maybe he will have mercy one more time. And I want to encourage you tonight, as God's people, we ought to pray. And maybe as God's people, we ought to kneel before God and, and say, God, please intervene. And righteousness exalteth a nation. So God, we come tonight and we're praying for that candidate which will lead us more toward righteousness. I know no candidate's perfect. No candidate ever is. But let's vote for that candidate that most closely resembles the righteousness found in God's word. And maybe tonight's a night to spend some time in prayer, specific prayer for Tuesday. That God would intervene on our behalf and show us some mercy. Please maybe help us to, um, to have influence somehow and to take some steps of being involved in the process, which is obviously biblical. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.